good morning. So glad you're here. We've got Christmas coming up in a few weeks. We've got several things that are happening here, and it was a great time for you to invite somebody who's maybe interested in coming to church, needs a church family. One way that you can easily invite people is to use these cards. These are little invite cards to the Breakfast with Santa that happens next weekend. It's for all ages. It's a great way to introduce somebody to Connection Christian Church. And then you can invite them to the Sunday services on the 15th or the 22nd or the Sunday night service, which is the kids are involved in that, but it's going to be very uh, accessible to all ages. It's not just for children and their families. It's going to completely help you set the tone for your Christmas and to give honor to God and Jesus' birth. So we're in this Believe series all year off and on. We're wrapping it up this week and next week. We've been looking at what the Bible says are the things that Christians are to believe and the practices that we're to embrace so that we can eventually become like Jesus. And the core verse that's been looking, that we've been looking at with this is Galatians 5, especially with this believe virtues section. And what are those virtues that God wants to develop within us? Well, they're on the screen here. I'd invite you to read these along with me. It says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Read these with me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's a, quite a list, right? And have you been like me, if you've been here for a part of this series or all of it, have you been measuring yourself against those? I, I find myself every week, I feel like I'm punching myself in the face. I want to see how, how far I have to go. But I think God has promised that he will develop all of these in our lives and this is what we'll become like. You know, on that verse, it says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. We, sometimes we think of the fruit of the Spirit. If you've ever heard this expression before, you might think of a bowl of fruit. And you might think of love as one kind of fruit and joy as another and peace as something else entirely and patience. But it did say fruit singular. I don't know if maybe Paul had more in mind when he wrote that word that the fruit of the Spirit, maybe he had a cluster of grapes in mind. That the Holy Spirit produces love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and like this. And you think about it, that really is a good example because it's one thing that the Holy Spirit is producing in our lives and it shows itself in different ways depending on what situation you're in. And you think about how a, a cluster of grapes can become so many things. This can become a glass jar of jelly. This can become a plastic sippy cup of grape juice. This can become a crystal flute of champagne. And you can get so many things out of these grapes. Even if you just specifically talk about all the different variations of wine that you can bring out of this. And I'm not like advocating that you should or should not drink if you're, you know, the scripture says don't get drunk on wine, but that's up to you if you're an adult and you can have an adult beverage. If you're not an adult, you shouldn't. But you do think about wine and what I'm told, I'm not really a big fan of wine. Part of it is because I try to be very careful about alcohol, but part of it's just, I don't like it. <laughs> I, I smell and go, hmm, that could be uh, from Walmart and I wouldn't know. I'd rather have a Mountain Dew. But you think about this, there are people who can tell all the nuances of a different wine. They just, they smell it, and they, they take a sip of it, and they just immediately start telling, oh, this is a, a Cabernet, or it's a, yeah, I don't even know what the words are you would use, but they do, and they go, oh, I'm picking up uh, an aroma of pencil shavings and crushed herbs and, uh, you know, a little bit of, I think the person who picked it was wearing Axe body spray. Like, how do you get that out of it? I, I don't know, but that's great that you can. And uh, you think about it, I do have respect for the people who are like a sommelier. They study so hard to pick up all those nuances and the different distinctions. And it's amazing when you just take one grape and you squish it, how many different things can come out of that. And I think maybe that's another aspect to this, that 
we're thinking about the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. There are times when we are squished. There are times when people are just so irritating and frustrating. Or there's times where your circumstances are just weighing you down and you don't necessarily know what to do next. And in those moments, what comes out of you? That's where the Holy Spirit is trying to produce this fruit in your life so that one situation just really tests your patience, but what comes out of you is patience and love and kindness. And in another situation, you're not sure what's going to happen, and you're tempted to be really worried, and you actually are worried about things, but then you have a sense of peace that it's ultimately it's going to be okay. You have a sense of optimism and joy that you would never expect based on how hard your life is right then. And you think another way that wine would fit with this is, isn't wine supposed to get better with age? I'm told that it does. As God's been working in your life, even if it just started a, a week ago or a month ago or 10 years ago, have you noticed that in some ways you're maturing? Not perfect, but are you getting better? Yeah, I think about the topic we're talking about today. We're looking at the, the virtue of gentleness. Has God taught you how to be gentle with other people and gentle with yourself? This may be one of the last virtues that we're going to study, but this is definitely, according to at least Americans, we feel like this is the place that we need the most work. And we need the most help. Randy Frazee developed this series called Believe, and he commissioned the Gallup polling organization to survey Americans, whether they were Christians or not. And um, he asked the question about all the 30 topics we've studied through this series. And as people thought about it and talked about it and answered those survey questions, the number one thing that came back was, I'm, well, the, I'll just tell you what the question was. Uh, I am known for not raising my voice. That was the gentleness question. I am known for not raising my voice. That one came back at 19%. It's the one we need the most work with. And, and part of that is culturally, we're not really gentle with each other right now. We live in a, the age of rage. This is the cancel culture. If we get mad at something, we try to get it boycotted. We love the sick burn. We love to see people slammed. And you know, somebody just comes back with a great comeback that makes somebody feel dumb and they get dunked on. And so that's just where we are. And then you got like... If you are a boomer, if you're a baby boomer, please stop calling millennials snowflakes. It's not helping the conversation. You know, oh, you just think that you're going to get a trophy for showing up. That's not helping. And all the millennials, stop saying, okay, boomer. It's just, it's disrespectful. Let's, let's have a, the Gen Xers in the middle are just like trying to duck and cover and just hope we didn't, you know, nobody notices us. It, this is not helpful in our culture that we're doing this, but there's another part of it that, um, that hurts us, and that's just there's something internal to all of us that really doesn't want to be gentle. We want to power up and be right and... And as I said, 19% of us go, yeah, this is a thing that I struggle with. There's also something about gentleness and meekness that gives us pause because you immediately hear meekness, you think weakness. Am I going to have to become a doormat? Do I have to just immediately let everybody walk all over me? Do I just have to, in the name of being nice, do I have to just give up all my rights? And I've got good news for you. You can be a strong woman, a strong man, and still be gentle. When we dive into what the Holy Spirit wants to do with you in this regard, I think you're going to be surprised. The good news is gentleness is absolutely not a wimpy word. It's a very strong word. It's counterintuitive, but it takes an incredibly strong person to be gentle with someone who is just stomping on your last nerve. It takes an incredibly strong person because gentleness is literally power under control. It's not that you're not powerful. It's not that you don't have an ability to defend yourself. It's just that you choose not to, that you forcefully restrain yourself from doing what your first impulse would be to do. A gentle person, I love the, how somebody said this, is willing to be hurt rather than to hurt or injure another person. It's a person, it's like um, 
Our chocolate lab, Rosie, was such a good example of this. I remember a time our neighbors brought their two-year-old twin toddlers over to our house. They loved Rosie. She had soft ears. She just, so they were tugging and pulling on her ears and her mouth and her, just her tail and everything. And then at one point, she just kind of looked like, really, do I have to endure this? She plopped on the floor, and they immediately used her as a step stool to get onto the couch. That's, she could have eaten both of them in one bite. You know, she could have put an end to that by growling, but she, she was gentle with them, and she kept her power under control. Perfect image of what this is all about. It takes a gentle person to consistently do what love calls for. It takes a gentle person to, to have the strength to be insulted and not insult someone in return. It takes a powerful person to do what Jesus did and to literally give up your life knowing you could defend yourself all the way to the end. And Jesus is a perfect example of what gentleness looks like in a person's life, just like he is with all the other virtues. He had the power to decimate people mentally. He could have won every argument, and he did, but he never did in a way that was condescending or made someone feel like they were just an idiot. Jesus had the power to uh, morally judge any person that he ever came into contact with, right? There, if there's one person who could have judged and just looked at somebody and said, I know what you've done, and I know what you've done, and I know what you've done, it was Jesus. But he never did that to people, and he literally never defended himself physically when they put him to death. He had the ability to speak, and the whole world would have ceased to exist. And he chose not to do that out of gentleness, there's a great verse in Matthew in the Bible. If you want to grab your Bible and find this, Matthew chapter 12, verse 18. And then Matthew, who's writing this gospel, Matthew spent three years following Jesus in his ministry, but Matthew actually chooses here to quote the prophet Isaiah from the Old Testament. 800 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah saw him and saw his life, and here's how Isaiah described him and how Matthew quotes him. Here is my servant whom I've chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations, and he won't quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, till he's brought justice through to victory. In his name the nations will put their hope. What a beautiful picture of Jesus. It says he won't quarrel, he won't cry out. And you say, well, I know Jesus said a lot of things in a loud voice. Well, yeah, obviously. It's not supposed to be literal in that sense. He taught thousands of people, so he had to raise his voice to just get himself heard. But he never yelled at people. He never screamed at people. He never just lost his temper and just railed on people. Some of the people that Jesus spent time with were incredibly broken. They were like that reed that Isaiah described. It's like a, somebody's gone along and snapped it, but it's not quite broken off yet. Jesus didn't just take it all away. And some people are just hanging on by a thread. It's like a candle almost ready to go out. Jesus never went. He never put someone in a place where they left worse than they come to him, at least not from his side of things. Jesus was so incredibly gentle with everyone. He never powered up. He never dominated a conversation. He spent time with people who were incredibly far from God. And they liked him. They never felt judged. They never felt like they were less than. Literally the most perfect person who's ever lived, and he was so careful to help move them closer to health and to God. He used his power for people, not against them. And that's, a, that's our example for us. That's, a, that's the standard that we want to achieve. Here's the key idea, if you've got your worship folder. Gentleness says, I am thoughtful, and I am considerate, and I am calm in my dealings with other people. Yeah, I'm gentle with them. Uh, here's the, let me give you a few areas that gentleness shows up. I think you'll find these to be helpful. I have, just in thinking this through, if you got your worship folder, gentleness is called for when I'm more powerful than somebody else. 
When I am definitely the more powerful person, I have more authority, I'm the one who needs to show gentleness. You know, Kirsten and I still laugh when our first daughter, Alyssa, was born. We were in the hospital still. It was time for her checkup with her pediatrician. So we snuck down to the nursery with the glass window. Our pediatrician, or her pediatrician, was an enormous man. He was like, could have wrestled for the WWE. He was big, mountain man, burly, beard. And so he goes in there, and this enormous man picks up our tiny little daughter. She was teeny tiny. And he picks her up with one hand. That's how big that was. And he's just holding her in one hand, just, you know, lift her up in the air. Yep, the back is fine. And, just, and Alyssa was just so calm. Like, he was calm. He was gentle. He could have just squished her with a, a grip of his hand. But the guy had power under control. And, it, and he had a sense of just peace about him that made everybody else feel at peace. And he was definitely the guy who was in charge there, but he didn't use it in a bad way. I love what Andy Mort said. Nothing shows your strength better than your gentleness. Gentleness is strength because it remains constant and clear-minded across all situations. There's nothing strong about the person who's quick to lose their temper and resort to aggression and violence in their spirit, words, and actions. That's anything but strength. That is a display of profound weakness. You know, gentleness doesn't take advantage of the fact that you've got power over someone to exploit them. The, the Apostle Paul wrote about a relationship he had with church that he started. This is over in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2. And he wrote this letter back to these Christians who knew him. They, they say, well, I'm a Christian because, Paul, you were the one who taught me about Jesus. And he describes, he says, I want to just remind you all the relationship we had. And this is a model for all of us. Verse 5 says this. Never once did we try to win you over with flattery. You well know that. And God's our witness. We weren't pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we, could have, we never sought it from you or anyone else. And as the apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you. But instead, we were like children among you, or literally, we were gentle among you. Or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her, her own children. We love you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our lives as well. What a great relationship. We're apostles. We're telling you the gospel of Jesus Christ. We could even expect you to do some things for us in, in that role, but we chose to be like parents to you. We never exploited you. We never took advantage of you. There's another verse where Paul is also writing, but he's writing to a pastor now, Timothy. 1 Timothy 5.2 says this, Hey, Timothy, in your church, treat the older women as you would your mother. Treat the younger women with all or absolute purity as you would your own sister. You can reverse the genders there as you need because this is always appropriate as to how we should treat one another in our church family and how we should treat those people that we supervise or manage or coach. Anywhere where you're in a situation where you're older than or have more authority, more power, more prestige, you should never use that to take advantage of another person, especially in the family of God. It's literally the case when you're a parent. It's also figuratively the case. This is just how we treat people. When you have more power, you exercise gentleness. I'll give you a great example of somebody doing this in the real world. I've got a picture here. This is Sheriff's Deputy Elton Simmons. He works out in Los Angeles for the Sheriff's Department. The guy is amazing. Over the last 20 years, he has written over 25,000 tickets. Something his boss found surprising when he pulled his folder for some other reason. He looked in there. There was not a single complaint letter in his folder. And his boss says, I have literally never seen this before. How can you write 25,000 tickets and not get at least one person who called in and fussed or complained or crabbed? They had never seen that. 
So his boss called a news channel and said, we've got this great story. You should follow Deputy Simmons and see what his secret is. And they did. And it was just amazing. They couldn't believe what they saw either. The first thing they thought was, well, he must just give a lot of warnings. But no, he writes a lot of tickets. It's just his demeanor as he deals with the public. Uh, nobody likes to get a ticket. Everybody assumes I've got a good reason why I was speeding and you should just let me go with a warning. Uh, but he didn't like let people off the, the hook. They said that he was a pitch-perfect uh, blend of authority and diplomacy. He was never arrogant or condescending with the people that he pulled over. He, and the way he describes it himself is, I, I don't like it when people look down on me. I don't like when people condescend to me. So I feel like I'm down here with you even when I'm writing you the ticket. Like, we're in this together. And people love it. They, they actually interviewed the lady who got a ticket in this picture. And she said, you know what? It's his smile. How could you be mad at a guy that's as nice as that? So here's to me hoping to you to get pulled over like a guy like that if you get don't get pulled over but if you do how cool is it to say i'm in a position of power and authority i have to give you this ticket but i'm not going to be a jerk about it that's that's a cool thing you know another time that gentleness comes in handy is when those situations come up that you're right for some of us this happens more often than others that happens all the time for me but i think it does i don't think it actually does i'm going to make all you english majors you're going to feel justified right now and I'm going to find out who you are because you're going to start shaking your head. How many of you are frustrated when people can't write the difference between there, there, and there? Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about right now, and you're the problem, according to all the English majors. All right, how about you geography buffs? Does it ever bother you when somebody says Edinburgh, Scotland? And all you people who are really good at geography are going, Edinburgh, Edinburgh. And then I shouldn't even open this drawer, but I'm going to. All you gun people who go, somebody just says to you, or you hear it on a newscast, you hear like, okay, so how many bullets does your clip hold on your revolver? And, and the gun people are going, yeah, you're cringing, and some of you don't know what I'm talking about. That's fine. Gentleness comes in handy when you're the one who's right. I, this is my area to grow up in. I'm being completely honest. I'm one of those people who hates hearing misinformation going out into the world. Even if I'm not part of the conversation, there's something in me when I hear it that I feel like I have to correct this. I have to set this right, and it's a, it's a horrible thing. Sometimes the hardest thing somebody said is to, in life is to both be right and not hurt somebody at the same time with that. You know, those moments are the moments where it's just so good to, to understand what God maybe we want you to do is just not say anything. First Timothy 5.1, again, Paul writing to Timothy, never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would to your own father. Talk to younger men as you would talk to your own brothers. Now, Paul's giving that advice to Timothy, who's a pastor in a big church in Ephesus, probably on a daily basis as a young man, has lots of opportunities where he's just sorely tempted by somebody who's older than him, who's maybe wrong, and needs to change, or maybe is obstinate and obdurate, and really is being a pistol and being a problem. And, and as a young man, Timothy, you can't just yell at them, even though you want to. You need to be patient. Talk to them like you're your dad. The younger guys in the church who are just doing all kinds of stupid things, be patient with them. You know, remember somebody was patient with you at one time, so be gentle with them. You, maybe you are right. You probably are right. Just be nice about it. And then flip that around in your mind. This has been very helpful to me. How would I want somebody to come to me if I was wrong? I wouldn't want somebody powering up and yelling at me and telling me, embarrassing me in front of other people. I'd want them to come to me and maybe ask me a few questions so I could figure it out for myself. Um, I, I think when you have uh, two daughters, 
you get a PhD in, in handling yourself better. I'm still learning. I have so far to go, but my wife and daughters have taught me how tone is important and facial expression. You don't think anything of it. And sometimes I just have to ask Kirsten later, what did I do? <laughs> I don't know. And she helps interpret what I said or didn't say or what the look on my face was. And it's just, all of these things matter. This goes into being gentle. And we can work on this. You know, another time that gentleness really comes in handy is when you're helping somebody change. So one of the things I love to do is on YouTube, I watch a professional dog trainer named Stoney Dennis. He's outside of Lexington. Uncle Stoney is amazing. The guy is a pro. And I'm, it's not just me. There are millions of people who watch his training videos. There are lots of people all across the United States who pay to send their Labrador retrievers to him as a puppy to be trained. The guy is just amazing. I watch him work with these young puppies, and he just has this calm demeanor about him. He never fusses at the dogs. He's always very generous with the food, which those dogs love, and uh, he's just so calm and patient, and the dogs respond to that. Very quickly, he's got them learning all the things that a retriever needs to know to be a good dog who's uh, obedient and patient and calm, waiting for you to tell them what you want them to do. One of the things he says that's so wise with training dogs is you have to set them up to succeed when you're training them. And the thing like with a, a Labrador retriever, which this, is, by the way, is my way of making sure you pay attention to me for the next five minutes, a chunky Labrador retriever puppy, but one of the things he says that's so important with them is that when you set them up to succeed, you, you want to be very gentle with them. They love to please people. And if you're too harsh on them, they'll shut down for the rest of the day. You might as well not try to train them until tomorrow because you've hurt their feelings and they think they've disappointed you. And I watch these, these videos and I think, man, this is so great. I wish I could go back and just watch these videos as a young dad because some of the things that he's talking about apply to people. You don't want to set people up to fail. You don't want to ask your kids to do more than they can do, and obviously they're going to fail, and then they're going to feel like they disappointed you. As a, a parent, or just as anybody, a coach, as a mentor, as a friend, you want to give people room to change and grow. And if you're always on them about something, they have no re room to just sit back and reflect and come toward the truth. So here's what God's Holy Spirit is teaching us to do. Just have this calm, gentle demeanor that gives people space to figure things out. And you calmly suggest things, and you control your response when they're doing something that's completely wrong and irritating or worse. And um, people will change their ways when, when God's working on their heart and when you're not nagging and pushing. And certainly when they know that they're not going to hear, I told you so, as soon as they start doing the right thing. You know, listen to what Paul advises us to do for each other. This is out of Galatians. This verse is so powerful. Brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help put that person back on the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. Now, here's something interesting in that verse. You see where it says, um, help put them on the right path. The word there literally is help restore them gently. And it was actually a medical term. Like if your doctor saw you and said, oh, you got a broken bone, they would set the bone or they would restore the bone. I don't know, it was like late elementary school, maybe middle school, I broke my wrist. And I went to the doctor for it and I was hoping it wasn't broken because tomorrow was the 4th of July and I wanted to go swimming. But he looked at it and it was broken and he knew it before we ever did the x-rays. But what I, the doctor didn't yell at me like, how could you break your arm? This is awful. And he just, he figured I was broken 
put a cast on it, told me what I needed to do, come see him in two weeks, and it should be starting to heal and all that. So he, he restored it gently. He put me on the right path, and this is what we're supposed to do for each other. When you know somebody's wrong, when you know they're even sinful, and getting all judgmental and preachy doesn't really help anybody change. Sometimes it pushes them further away. You be humble. You know, none, none of us are batting a thousand when it comes to life, none of us are completely sinless. So we want to have a little bit of humility that says, I haven't always done things the right way either. I'll help you figure this out. We'll get where we need to go. I'll help you. I'll listen to you. We'll figure this out. I'm not, I love you enough to tell you the truth that what you're doing is wrong and it's hurting yourself and it's hurting other people. But uh, I'm going to be gentle about that. I'm going to figure out a way and a time to do this in a way that really helps you. So I love this story. Back in January in Lafayette, Indiana, a 911 operator got a phone call, and it was a little boy on the phone, and um, this boy said, I really had a bad day, and I don't know. So Antonia, who was the 911 operator, she could have said, listen, this is really not why you call 911. Go find your parents. But she was really gentle with him. She said, well, tell me, what's, what's going on? He said, I just, I'm having trouble at school. And she said, okay, well, why don't you tell me about it? She asked a few questions, and she didn't tell him, like, you're wasting the police time, get off the phone. She, she figured out it was math. And she said, well, I'm really good at math. Can I help you with one of your problems? So she did, over 911. She helped the boy with some of his math homework. By the end of the call, he knew he wasn't supposed to call 911 for math homework. He actually said, I'm sorry for calling you, but I really needed help. And, and she said this. She said, oh, you're fine, honey. We're always here to help. And I wonder how it would feel if in our church and in our families and where you work and where you shop, just people heard us say the words over and over, it's okay, I'm here to help you. What if together we committed to say, I'm willing to tell you the truth, but I'm gonna be transparent enough to tell you that I've been there too. We're gonna get through this together. We're gonna restore one another we're not going to give up on each other. We're not going to judge each other. We're just going to try to move each other closer to Jesus. This is Dr. Dan McNeely. He's a pediatric surgeon, and he had an eight-year-old patient named Jackson who had a brain tumor and fluid around his brain, and Dr. Dan had to take some of that fluid off. And as he's going into surgery, Jackson held up a stuffed animal and said, Doctor, my, my teddy bear is ripped. Can you sew him up too? So Dr. Dan said this, in this before he posted this picture. Patient asked if I can fix the teddy bear just before being put off to sleep. How could I say no? So he operated on Jackson, and then he did actually took the extra thread that was left over from the surgical procedure and fixed the teddy bear right there. And the, he restored that thing for him. You know, the family said about this, it is terrifying to have an eight-year-old kid going into surgery. But Dr. Daniel... Uh, put us all to rest. He was just so calm himself. He was willing to just take the time even to fix an eight-year-old kid's teddy bear. How cool is that? That's, that's exactly a picture of gentleness right there, just to carry in your mind. That's the kind of person I want to be. This is the kind of person that God is growing me up so that I can become. You know what? You may have some things in your life where you feel like, man, I'm the one who needs to call 911. I'm the one who needs to have the teddy bear sewn up. I'm the one who needs somebody to be a little bit gentle with me. You can absolutely bring that forward because you're in a great place. There's people all around here who love you and we love each other. And you can certainly bring it to Jesus because he will never break off a broken reed and he will never snuff out a candle that's just on the edge. You can trust him. Jesus is absolutely gentle, and he is humble, and he is ready to help any one of us who will come to him. And he doesn't judge you. He certainly doesn't expect you to clean up your act before you get to him. 
He just wants you to be willing to trust him and move towards him, and he'll take it from there. And if you feel like this is an area where you just got a long way to go, he'll help you with that too. The grace of God that brings salvation teaches us. And he teaches us to say no, un, no to ungodliness and worldly passion. He teaches us how to say yes to all those good things that God wants us to be and to do. I would invite you this morning, we're going to be singing one last song, to just come to Jesus, to let him teach you how to be gentle, and let him be gentle with you. And if you've literally never given your life to Jesus, do that today. This is the most reasonable thing you could do, is just to turn the, the steering wheel of your life over to him. It, it will be something you will never regret. I invite you to stand, and I want to pray for us now. Father, I thank you how much love you had for us, that you did send Jesus to die for us. Jesus, I thank you how you've always treated people, and you are our example in that, how gentle you've been with all of us, and how gracious you have been. This morning, I ask that we would completely know that we can trust you, that you would invite us and give us a sense of calm and peace that, we, that even goes beyond anything we could understand, just to know that we are in your presence and that things are going to be okay. Help us to turn loose the things that we should. Help us to embrace those things that we ought to be doing but aren't. In every way, we just look to you for our salvation and we look to you for help and we know we find it. So I ask for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.